for listening to this message from the Altar Fellowship. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You can be seated. Thank you so much. Um, it is a, uh, a good day to be together. Uh, yeah, I was looking the other day at those, I don't know how many of you are old enough to remember this. They used to have uh, space camp commercials on Nickelodeon, you know, and they would have them in that little uh, 3D spinning thing. I was like, do they have those for rent? Could we, could we strap people's children into one of those at, at vacation Bible school? I couldn't find them for rent, I, I, and they're not cheap to buy. So, uh, you know, your kids lucked out. Otherwise, we'd have been, they'd have been throwing up all over the place. <laughs> I um, should tell you, you know, I've, there's, there's a, a lot of my walk with the Lord is, uh, it revolves around things that I don't share from the pulpit. You know, they're things that are maybe... Um, they're important to me. I think they're important to him, but uh, I don't just hear from the Lord about this church, you know? In fact, he talks to me more about stuff that I should be doing that I'm not doing or things that I'm doing that I should stop doing. And, uh, and so we get, to t- we get to talk a lot about that. And this week, you know, we've been uh, um, talking a- about uh, the church and the ministry and, and some of the things that, you know, I-, I had in my heart and I still have in my heart for this place. And the Lord uh, gave me a a word that I I needed probably for some time that I um, hadn't really contemplated. It's really simple. He just said, Maddie, stay weird. (laughs) And you know, I, uh, I, I feel the pressure constantly to, um, to fit in with you know, the Baptist preacher of whatever church down the road and, uh, and to dress like him and to talk like him and to act like him. And, and, um, and I, th- I think what is so glorious about my brothers in ministry leadership is that they are authentically expressing who God has made them to be. And, um, and I want to make sure that I don't try to authentically express who God has made them to be, but that rather I, um, I surrender to the, the hand of God or the call of God on my life. And so... Um, you should know, um, you know, there's some things that, uh, that I feel like maybe I haven't been paying enough attention to. I I don't think I've talked, I don't think I've said the name Yahweh enough. You know, I think, uh, I don't think I've said the name Yeshua enough. I don't think I've prayed in tongues enough from this platform. And, uh, I left the Talit in a drawer in my office and I would put it on when I would pray um, alone and uh, nobody ever knew that I had it and I, I, I felt to do two things. The first was um, to keep this on the, the table that, that the sons made and, uh, when I minister and then also I, I wrote a sticky note and I stuck it on my desk that just says, stay weird. Um, because I, because listen, for me at least, there's some people that I know and have run with who being weird comes natural for them and they have to try hard. (laughs) They have to try hard to be understandable, you know? Um, and I, I'm not, I'm not wired that way. For me, I like to keep things very simple and straightforward. And, uh, 
and I have to make sure to, to consciously lean into uh, the mystery of God because no matter, no matter how much we read about him, no matter how much we talk about him, no matter how many years we have spent in church, the truth is that God is a mystery. We're only standing on the shore and, and looking out at him. And, and he's invited us to dive into the depths and to discover him. And if we're gonna do that, we're gonna have to uh, let go of our need for control. If we're ever going to receive a peace that passes all understanding, we're gonna have to lose our need to understand everything. Right? And so uh, we have to say yes to the mystery. So deal with it. Thank you, Lord. I like it. Holy Spirit, we worship you today. You are God. And we repent for the times we treated you like an accessory or an afterthought. Holy Spirit, you deserve our honor, our praise, our admiration, our submission, and our obedience. You deserve our attention. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here with us, our helper, our counselor, our friend. We thank you that, that you... Um, Thank you that you empower us to say yes to the call of God on our lives. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that we weren't left to do this in our own strength, but that by your power at work within us, we can answer the call and we can advance the kingdom. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your immersive glory and power in, in us and for us. We worship you. We love you in Jesus' name. Um, you know, uh, we've been talking a lot about immersion. And uh, uh, this last weekend, did you guys have, have fun this weekend with Derek? I'm so glad that four of you enjoyed it. <laughs> the next time, I'll tell him to try harder. Uh, <laughs> Uh, man, we had a, uh, I had an awesome time. I, I, I was so blessed and inspired. And, you know, one of the things I love <clears throat> uh, about Derek is that uh, when, when many times we are eager for more information, Derek is eager for the opportunity to apply the things he, he's been taught, right? And sometimes we get caught up saying, well, that was a good message, I'd never heard anybody teach that before. Man, that was really cool. And, and we leave and we, we never let that transform our life. Derek is like, uh, coachable is the word, you know? And, uh, and to be coachable, I could speak for the whole staff here at the Altar Fellowship and any other church you ever go to when I say to be coachable is the greatest gift you could give me as your pastor. I'm, te I'm telling you. Um, you would be shocked at the amount of uh, uh, trials and tribulations I walk through with people that could have been totally avoided if they would have just listened to what people already told them. Amen. 
Yeah. Amen. <laughs> and uh, so we had a, an awesome time with Derek, man, a, a fun time, a great weekend. I, um, throughout this week, have been considering, you know, what does immersion look like? We talked last week, it was Shavuot, the, the, Hebrew, uh, the Hebrew feast of first fruits, which also corresponds to the day of Pentecost that you read about in Acts chapter two. And we talked a little bit about those, and I, I think we may jump um, further into those today. We'll sort of see where the, the Lord leads us. But we, um, you know, I, I got to thinking about this ministry of immersion, this, this, uh, this thing that this, the Spirit has, has had us in now for some time. And I, um, I came to what I think was probably an inevitable point on this journey. And I started to look at the life of John the Baptist. And now it, it wasn't long ago that I, I think I, I taught a message about John the Baptist and about his ministry. And, um, just a phenomenal man and, and one of my very favorite figures in scripture. John 3.30 is my all-time favorite verse. And it says, it's John the Baptist speaking. And he says uh, very plainly in John 3.30, he says, he must become greater and I must become less. And if I, could, if I could sum up sort of the mantra of Christian living, that's it. He must become greater, I must become less. Everything that we do ought to be to increase Christ and to decrease you. To make him more visible and you less visible. To make him more evident and you less evident, right? And uh, I recognize that that's probably more scandalous than it ought to be. You know, we live in a generation that, that tells you that you are wonderful and beautiful and that you're a gift and a blessing to everyone around you. And, you know, you come into church and you want to serve. And so they give you like a personality test, you know, and they figure out what your strengths are and they, and they, and they position you to, uh, uh, in a position that plays to your natural strengths and, and abilities. And, uh, here's the thing. I, I don't want you to operate in your natural strengths and abilities. I want you to operate in your supernatural strengths and abilities. I don't want you to be who you are. I want you to be who Christ is. And, uh, and so this, this verse, John 3.30, it sums up that idea. He must become greater, I must become less. That, those are words spoken by, by John the Baptist. That was the obsession of his life. And, um, you know, the, the word that we translate as, as Baptist in the name John the Baptist, it talks about him in, in Matthew, uses that name in Matthew chapter 3, verse 1, um, when it talks about John the Baptist beginning his ministry, it gives him this title, the, the Baptist. Now, that could just as easily have been translated as the immerser. Um, so baptism and immersion are synonymous. And, um, and this, this whole thing got unlocked for us when we were baptizing, I don't know, 90 people or something on, on Easter Sunday in here. Glorious time, an amazing Sunday morning, and the Lord said, the baptisms may be over, but the immersion is not. And so we've been right now in this season of immersion, this season of being baptized or initiated into a new way of living. And, uh, and what a glorious time it's been. I, I hope we've seen, I hope all of you have been touched and marked during the season. But I, I want you to understand that, that uh, John, the immerser, talked about the inadequacy of his own ministry. He talked about it openly. And, I, and so I, I want to start today in, in Matthew, chapter, Matthew chapter 3. Um, 
I've got a, one of my bookmarks is a little sticky note that Lauren Hubbard left on my desk like two years ago. So thanks. I don't know where she's at, but she's in kids. Of course she is. That's awesome. All right. Um, you know, tell her that I love it. Um, so in, 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 in Matthew chapter three, uh, it starts Matthew three, one. I'll just, I'll read this for some context. It says in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Have you ever heard anyone say that before? This is like every Sunday. <laughs> See, this is also in, uh, in, in Mark 1, 12, uh, I think, or maybe 14. Uh, in, in Mark chapter one, Jesus says those exact same words. He begins his ministry in Judea saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So there's this, this agreement between the, the, the forerunner and, and the king, between Jesus and John who went to prepare the way for, for Jesus to come. So John, he marks his ministry by saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But that title in, in Matthew 3 verse 1, John the Baptist, as I said before, could be just as easily John the Immerser. And, uh, and, and so during this, this uh, chapter, I won't read all of it to you. He you know, he picks a fight with the Pharisees, as, as John the Baptist was known to do, and he's being really mean to everybody in Jesus' name. Um, but, but then in verse 11, and I, I, will, I will read this one. In verse 11, he says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you. Read that as immerse, the baptize. I indeed baptize, or I immerse you with water unto repentance, but he who's coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will immerse you in the Holy Spirit and fire. And so, you know, as I've been meditating on the, the life and the ministry and the message of, of John the Baptist, I realized that if I, could, if I could send an email and get John the Baptist to come here and preach, what John the Baptist would do is he would say, there's a baptism available through Christ that is so far superior to anything that I could offer you that it's a waste of time for you to, to pay attention to me when you could just look at him instead. Right, this is, I, I taught this recently, that, that, that the culmination of John's earthly ministry was the moment he was able to stand up and announce, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. To tell people, don't look at me, look at him. He's the one we've all been waiting for. You're all here being baptized to deal with your sin. I came to tell you he's the only one that can remove it from you. And so, just like in John 3.30, he says, he must become greater, I must become less. And in Matthew 3, verse, verse 11, he says, there's one coming after me. He's mightier than I. I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals and when he comes, he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. So John, he's open about the inadequacy of his own ministry. He's saying, all I'm doing is holding the place because there's one coming after me whose ministry will be superior in every way. The baptism he offers is going to be superior in every way to anything that I could offer you. And so if we could bring John the Baptist here, he would tell you this. There's another one who is infinitely more powerful than I am. And if you will follow him instead of me, he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. And so I thought that if John was pointing to Jesus, 
And if Jesus, according to John and according to Jesus, I'll teach you this in a little bit, uh, was pointing to the Holy Spirit, that, that probably what we ought to be paying attention to is the Holy Spirit. I, I taught on a Wednesday, on a, a Wednesday just a couple weeks ago about uh, the spirit of adoption, that, that the Holy Spirit at work within us is to, uh, uh, the, the work of the Holy Spirit within us is to bear witness within our spirit that we are sons. And if sons, then, then heirs, joint heirs with Christ, that we can actually cry out, Abba, like Daddy, Father, to the Lord, that that when other people look at God and they see supreme majesty, divine ruler, that we can see dad. That's a beautiful thing. It's, I, I think it's, it's a, a sacred thing for me. You know, uh, I recognize that, that in church culture, there's a lot of uh, veneration and, and honor for, for the pastor. Uh, and I don't necessarily think it's, it's inappropriate, to be honest, If I was at someone else's church, I would say I think it's probably inadequate. Um, but uh, uh, that's another—that's a message for another guy to preach to you. Um, I, I, uh, what I what I think is is true though is is that my three sons have a different understanding of who I am. Right? That while other people may say, "Oh, that's the pastor," right? And my kids are like, "What? It's just my dad." You know, he, we like. He throws, he throws a ball with us in the backyard and we, and we wrestle. He tickles me before bed at night. Like that's, that's just my dad. It doesn't mean I'm any less the pastor, but it means that I'm not only a pastor. See, in, in the ministry of the Holy Spirit, one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit in us is, is to testify to our spirit that um, he, he's not any less God, but he's not only God. He's also our father. You know, when my father died when I was eight years old, I, uh, I read this verse that says that God is a father to the fatherless. And if my life has been anything, it's been an experiment to find out if that's really true. And I can stand here today to tell you that in a, a very real and literal sense, Yahweh is a father to the fatherless. He does not forget those that have been abandoned or betrayed or left behind by their fathers. He is, he is faithful not just to be a Lord, not just to be a deity, but to be a, a dad. And, um, and so uh, I, I want us to recognize that I want us to recognize the, the critical nature of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. Honestly, uh, Holy Spirit's ministry might be the it might be the dividing line theologically between two primary camps in uh, in the church today, at least in the Western world. There's there's many who sort of practically they would say they believe in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but in practice it looks more like Father, Son, and Holy Bible. Right? We believe there's a Father, we believe there's a Son, but you know, as far as um, transforming our life, as, as far as walking out the Great Commission, you know, this is our, our roadmap here. This is all that we need, and there is nothing more. The problem is even the Bible teaches us that the Bible is not complete. Um, the Bible tells us that, there's, that the works of Jesus 
uh, went far beyond what's contained in this book. The, the Bible itself teaches us that, the, that God's word is a light to our feet and a lamp unto our path. It teaches us that if we will incline our ear to hear that, that God will show us which way we should go. And, and in fact, in, in John chapter 16, and I'm slowly making my way there, Jesus teaches us that the Holy Spirit will lead us into truth, into the truth that he didn't have time on earth to teach us. And so the ministry of the Holy Spirit is critical. And I recognize some of my brothers in ministry, they're, they're, uh, they're afraid or they're hesitant to, to embrace this teaching. And here's why. Because if the Holy Spirit can speak to each individual heart and give us direction and guidance, then that means that any person can make up anything they want and say, God told me to do this. And, and believe me, I understand that's a scary position to take. But it's also biblical. I, I can't develop a theology that says, well, if it's not in the Bible, it's not true. Because there, there was no chapter and verse that said Maddie Montgomery should marry Candace McGraw. And so at some point, I, I had to hear the voice of God to help me take the universal truth contained in God's word and make it practical and applicable to my unique situation. Now, I'm not saying in any way that what we hear or what we think we hear from the Holy Spirit should take greater authority than the scriptures. The same spirit that speaks to you today is the one that inspired these scriptures. So he hasn't changed his mind from the time these words were written to, to now. You know, I've, I've heard stories. I had a friend that was a pastor in San Antonio that told me about a woman in his church that had a word from the Lord. God said that uh, um, you should divorce your husband because I have a better man out there for you. It's like, he definitely did not tell you that, right? And, um, and this, is what, this is what cessationists are afraid of, is, is they would say, if we permit people to hear the voice of God, they can just make up whatever they want. And, and uh, I've got to believe that um, Yahweh considered that possibility when he inspired the scriptures and when he shared his heart with us. He didn't, he didn't fail to take human depravity and deception and selfishness into account. Oh no, he knows us better than we know ourselves. He, he knew that that would happen. And, you know, this is not what I'm talking about today, but if I could... Um, speak to that a little bit, uh, I'm convinced that, that what, that's what spiritual authority and accountability are supposed to deal with. You need, you need to hear God's voice and you need to have someone who you know hears God's voice in your life to tell you that thing you're hearing is not God's voice. You need, to, you need someone in your life with a biblical foundation who prays for you and who has your best interest in mind to say, no, you got it wrong on that one. See, this is why God puts leaders in our life. Not just to make us look good and to help us build our platform and our career. Not even to help you develop skill, but to help make sure that you don't walk into deception, lying to yourself and, and trying to convince yourself that, that it's God's will. And, uh, and so I, I wanna talk today about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. What is the ministry of the Holy Spirit? If this is the immersion that Jesus came to, to bring us into, then I want that. Is that, am I alone? If this is, 
John the Baptist said, when he comes, he will baptize you. He will immerse you in the Holy Spirit and fire. If, if the Holy Spirit and fire, if that's the immersion that Jesus came to give us, then I want that. You sign me up. I'll be at the front of the line. Let's do it, right? And so let's, let's talk about it. I, I, I don't want to tell you my opinions. Please understand, I'm not here to advocate for Pentecostal theology. Not at all. I just want to, we're going to be people that believe God's word. Amen. And, uh, and so I want to go to John chapter 16. We will see, I've got a lot of ground to cover. There's a lot of notes. It turns out it's tough to give a complete summary of soteriology in, in one Sunday service. So we're gonna, we're gonna just talk about the Holy Spirit a little bit today and we will sort of see where we end up. In my experience, when you talk about the Holy Spirit, he shows up. And uh, when he's the center of attention, it means I'm doing something right. So um, we're gonna let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit wants. John chapter 16, let me, let me find this. I'm going to get a new Bible soon. Uh, all right, John chapter 16. Uh, in, I'm going to start in verse 5 of John 16. It says this. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples, and he says, but, but now I go away to him who sent me, it, but, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, he says in verse 7, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. I want to pause and make sure you just, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you now, but you cannot, uh, sorry, I, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Put a star in your Bible next to verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When people tell you that everything God wanted to say, he put in the scriptures, you can bring them to John 16, verse 12. When Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. He has a plan, though. And his plan is this, verse 13. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but what he hears, he will speak. And when he will... Uh, and, and he will tell you things to come. Verse 14, he will glorify me for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Can I tell you what the Holy Spirit will always do? It will always glorify Jesus. This is as good a time as any. This week I was talking with my wife. I wrote a note in my phone and said, I have to say this to the church. I have seen in this church specifically, but not exclusively, a, a severe lack of the fear of the Lord when it comes to prophetic ministry. Uh, and here's what I mean. I wouldn't even say this church primarily. I've seen it uh, dramatically in other churches, not so dramatically here. It's been subtle and under the radar here, um, but I want to make sure it just dies altogether and then it doesn't continue to. Here's what I mean. Prophetic ministry 
um, can be really impressive. And that's the danger of it. It's really easy to endear people to yourself and to generate admiration for yourself when you operate, you know, prophetically. Uh, and uh, here's my problem, not my problem, here's my concern when it comes to prophetic ministry. Uh, if it doesn't, you can keep that verse up on the screen. Uh, if, it, if it doesn't glorify Jesus, it is not the Holy Spirit. See, there's a, a girl in the book, a slave girl in the book of Acts who rightly divines that uh, Paul and Silas are servants of the most high God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. She's correct in that. And there's a, there's a demon inside of her causing her to be able to see them for who they are and proclaiming this. Do you want to know the, the, the difference between what she's doing and prophetic ministry? It's that the, the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. My, my concern with prophetic ministry is that uh, people use the prophetic far too often to Im impress and endear people to themselves instead of to glorify Jesus. If your ministry is a prophetic one, it will glorify Jesus. If it's truly spirit-inspired, spirit-filled, or spirit-led, it will glorify Jesus. That's the primary function. That's the obsession of the Holy Spirit and all of his earthly work. He will glorify me. This is Jesus teaching on the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. He will glorify me. And so I, I want to make sure that you hear this as the, the, the lead servant of this house. I want to make sure you hear this from me. If you have a word for someone, uh, you better be real sure it's from God before you tell them. We're not going to be that church that's like, well, I don't know if it's prophetic or not, but let me just throw it out there and see what kind of damage it does. It's not, it's not cute. It's not funny. Too many, you know, supernatural, you know, new generation spirit-filled churches are, are like, well, who cares if it's, if it's right? You know, if you feel it, just, just try it. No. If you're not sure it's God, shut up. We need to have the fear of the Lord. You, listen, I, there's nothing wrong. I, I want to make sure that you hear this. I'm not saying don't say anything. Like, there's nothing wrong with saying, hey, you know, when I was looking at you, I just, I, I had this thought. Does this mean anything to you? Like, that's fine. It's, you take ownership of this. I'm not sure if it's God yet. Can you help me figure it out? That's okay. That's okay. Right? But when you say, the Lord told me to tell you, you should quit your job and get into ministry full time. It's like, oh no. We need to have the fear of the Lord. If we're going to speak on behalf of God, we need to do so with fear and trembling and recognize that we will have to give account on that day for every careless word we have spoken. We don't, we don't deal with parking lot prophets here. Listen, I, I, like Paul said, I wish you all spoke in tongues, but even more so that you would all prophesy. 
please understand, I want everyone in this church to prophesy. I don't want you to pull something out of your rear end and call it prophecy when it's not. Right? I want you to contend in prayer for this house. I want you to be eagerly and enthusiastically and joyfully submitted to the vision that God has given this house. I want you to to look eagerly for ways to bless and edify and inspire your brothers and sisters in this house. I want you to say, hey, this is what the Lord says to you right now. And if it gets weird, I'll be here to face the music with you. Like if it's hard, if God gives you this direction and it gets hard, I'm going to be here in the mess with you. We're not going to be a people that uh that that trial and error our way through prophetic ministry right amen <laughs> so uh verse 14 John 16 He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. So this passage in John 16, this is Jesus teaching on uh, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. There's a couple points I I feel like, uh, like I have to take a moment to elaborate on. Uh, Jesus says, it is to your advantage that I go away in, in verse seven of John 16. He says something really scandalous. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. I want you to meditate on that for a minute. Think about when you go and get Mexican food for lunch today, how you might conduct yourself differently if Jesus Christ walked into the restaurant with you. If, if the physical person, Jesus, in the flesh, was standing right next to you and you walked into the restaurant, would you be worried about what anybody thought about you? Well, if a sick person walked into that restaurant, you wouldn't be like, oh no, hopefully they get better someday. You'd think like, my man's got this, right? <laughs> this is, you know, the example that I've used a, a lot when, when teaching on this is, it's like this. If, if, I, if my two best friends were Steph Curry and LeBron James and I went to the YMCA to play three-on-three basketball in you know, the Elizabethan YMCA to play three-on-three basketball, you've got to know I would talk so much trash. <laughs> like they would be, I'd be in there an hour before they showed up. Like I'll take on anybody here. Go get your cousin and them. Bring them back to the YMCA. Y'all don't stand a chance. You're done. Like there's, I'll put, you want to bet? You want to put money on the game? Like I got this. You know, Steph and LeBron there in the locker room, like I would be out on the gym taking bets. Like I'd have a full book. I will, I may not look impressive, but there's somebody that's about to walk out on this court that's going to change the game for me, right? That's how I'd feel. Like if Jesus was with, it'd be like, it doesn't matter how strung out on drugs you are, how demonized you are, my man, he can handle this, right? And so, and so when Jesus teaches in John 16, it is to your advantage that I go away. We should, we should pause and think about that for a minute. When he says, it's better for you that I leave than that I stay here and walk with you through life. 
Because the truth is that Jesus understands the ministry of the Holy Spirit infinitely better than we do. And he truly believes, he wouldn't have said this if he didn't, he truly believes that it's better to have God in you than to just have God next to you. And so this superior reality that Jesus is pointing us to, nevertheless, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Can I tell you something that has actually been really liberating for me? Uh, You know, there are some churches and some ministries that have uh, kind of gone out of their way trying to um, convince sinners that they are sinners. And they mount protests and they write books and they pay for billboards and they go out and they stand on the side of the pride parade and they shout derogatory terms to all of these people in the street. And, uh, and I always come back to John 16, 8 because I have a promise right here in red letters that says that, that when the Holy Spirit comes, what he's going to do is bring conviction to the world. Can I tell you there's not one person in a pride parade that doesn't know that the way they're living is wrong. They might not admit it. And in fact, they're surrounding themselves with people who are loudly affirming them, trying to drown out what they have had for years inside of them, which is the spirit of the living God bringing conviction to them of sin and righteousness and coming judgment. And now we may give people some insight or some direction or some clarity about about what exactly it looks like to live a a life that is honoring to God. But the truth is, and, and for all of us, and my hand is up with this, for all of us that have lived for any season of time in sin and in rebellion against God, we knew we were sick in our soul. We knew all along that we were rebelling against God. Maybe we didn't know what it would look like if we stopped. Maybe we were afraid of, of the unknown uh, uh, and that, that if we were to leave behind our friends and our, our community and, and the culture that we had learned to love, we didn't know what we would get in return and we weren't sure that the exchange would be worth it. There was a lot of unknowns, but the truth is we always knew that it was sin. We always knew we were in rebellion. The world doesn't need you to convince them that they're in sin. They know that they're in sin. The world needs you to tell them that their sin doesn't have to be the end of their story. When he comes, Jesus says of the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and of coming judgment. One of the primary ministries of the Holy Spirit is conviction. And can I tell you, that means... If that's true, that means also that one of the primary attributes of a spirit-filled life will be conviction. That it's that that recognizing that something you're doing is less than what Jesus died for you to have, like that's a part of the life of the saint. The the conviction is an inevitable part of the children of God. my, if I were to tell you that I don't yell at children and my kids were in the room, they would laugh hysterically because they'd be like, dad, you yell at us all the time. It's because you're my children. And so we should, you should know, like when you're being chastised by the Lord, when you're being disciplined by the Lord, it's because he loves you. not because he's mad at you. 
When you're being corrected, it's because he loves you, not because he's mad at you. And so, you know, people who feel like, well, you know, this is who I am. How could God have a problem with the way that I live my life, my impulses or my desires? It's like, because he loves you. God is calling you to repent because he loves you. Conviction is, is one of the many demonstrations of God's great love for you. This is the primary function of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believers, conviction. But Jesus says this in verse 12. He says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. So not only does the Holy Spirit give us conviction, but the Holy Spirit gives us also guidance. He will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. So the Holy Spirit not only gives us conviction, that is to say, hey, don't touch that, don't watch that, don't engage in that, don't, don't continue down this road, that, that voice that people attribute to their conscience, it's the universal manifestation of the Holy Spirit. He will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and the judgment. And then he says, uh, when he comes, he will guide you into all truth. I, I feel like I should make this distinction just for those of you that are really concerned with uh, uh, theology, which should be all of you. Um, I, I, I wanna make sure that I make this distinction. In verse eight, Jesus says, he will convict the world of sin, okay? In verse 13, he says, he will guide you into all truth. So do you hear the distinction? So he's not saying he's gonna guide the world into all truth, and so everyone's gonna be saved. He's saying he's gonna bring conviction to everyone, but only those who will follow him he will guide into truth. He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will tell you things to come. He will glorify me. And we've already talked about that. And so Jesus, he's, he's teaching his disciples. He's telling them there's a, a ministry coming that is actually going to be better for you. It's interesting for me because this is so similar to me to the, the ministry and message of John the Baptist. It's like, you know, there's one coming after me, right? That John the Baptist comes and says, there's one coming after me. And then Jesus comes and he says, well, there's one coming after me. And so, uh, and so Jesus, he, um, he's pointing his disciples forward to this day, everything he teaches them. He's working to prepare them and position them for this, this great day when, when God and man intertwine and, uh, and when the divine begins to inhabit the mortal. Now, I want to go to Acts chapter one. I'm going to go forward to Acts one. Thank you, Lord. Conviction and guidance. In Acts chapter one, at this point, Jesus has, he's been, He's done three years of earthly ministry. He's been arrested, tried, crucified, resurrected from the dead. And, uh, and he, he's, in fact, given the, the great commission to his disciples, go into to all the earth and make disciples of, of every nation. And uh, this is so interesting to me because in, uh, in, in what is it, Mark 16, uh, Jesus tells his, tells his disciples to go. Um, but then... 
Uh, but then in, in Acts chapter one, he tells them to stay. And I'll, I'll read this to you. In Acts chapter one, uh, I want to start in verse four. It says, being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the father, which he said, you've heard from me. Now, I want to I pause here because this is the same Jesus talking to the same disciples, quite possibly even in the same conversation, being assembled together with them. He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. These are the same guys that he had just said, go into all the earth, make disciples of all nations. He, he just told these guys to go to the ends of the earth, but, but he tells them, but first stay until the Holy Spirit fills you. And I think this is instructional for us that, that especially, you know, in this, in this age, I, I have been really blessed to be a part of some incredible conferences and crusades where, I mean, tens of thousands of people come together and they're inspired and equipped. And, you know, we, we stand on, on stages and we tell them, you know, who's going to go to the ends of the earth? Who's going to be the next wave of mighty missionaries that are going to carry the gospel to their generation? And, and people are inspired. They're they're empowered. They're really excited about this. But Jesus' ministry looked like this. I want you to go to the ends of the earth, but don't go without God. If ambition drives you, you will bear no fruit and you'll die a meaningless death. But if the Spirit carries you, nothing will be impossible for you. See, I, I, listen, I, I would take someone who says, I'm, I will only go when I know that God has called me and who sits through their 20s and their 30s and their 40s and their 50s and their 60s and then at 72 years old moves to uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana led and empowered by the Holy Spirit and spends three years in ministry pouring their heart and soul out. 50 years of faithful labor to the Lord inspired and empowered by the Holy Spirit. I'll take that person over someone who thinks, man, it's gonna be really cool if I get pictures with black babies on my Instagram, so let me go do a mission strip in Africa. Don't act like it's not, to, don't act like you haven't given to 25 of these missionaries. It's not Holy Spirit led, it's not Holy Spirit inspired or empowered. They're just going because their buddies are going and they wanted something cool. They didn't have anything else going on over Thanksgiving break, so here we go. Listen, I'm gonna get an angry email from some YWAMers after this. Thank you, thank you, Lord. You need to know, sometimes God says stay. Selah. Hmm. Being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, you hear this, this is from Matthew 3. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? 
And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will, uh, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Now, we have talked about uh, the, the spirit of God giving us conviction and guidance from John 16, but in Acts chapter one, we have another message on the ministry of the Holy Spirit from Jesus. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will receive power. You know, this word uh, power, it's the Greek word dunamis. It's where we get the word dynamite. Uh, it's, it's explosive force. And... Uh, you know, there's a lot of teaching that is, is something like this. You know, well, when you receive Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit, and, and then, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit helps you to live a moral life. Please believe me. I, I'm, I just spent 20 minutes teaching on the ministry of the Holy Spirit to give you conviction and guidance. I'm thankful for the conviction and guidance of the Holy Spirit, but the same Spirit that gives you conviction and guidance also gives you power according to Acts chapter one. And, and listen, if a stick of dynamite had gone off under your shirt, you wouldn't be wondering whether a stick of dynamite had gone off under your shirt. When the Holy Spirit has filled you, there is no doubt. There's no, well, I think, I hope so, right? Like when the Spirit of God has possessed you, there's no question. There's no question. There's no question. And can I tell you, that moment is worth waiting for. So if, you, if you've prayed, Holy Spirit, fill me, and you weren't sure if you received it or not, stay. Keep waiting. Wait until you know. This is, man, one of my favorite stories in church history is, is of uh, Charles Finney's conversion. He, he wrote about it. You can read his account of it on online. It's pretty incredible. He uses the phrase liquid love. He says he's, he went out in these woods outside of, I think, Rochester, New York. And, um, and uh, he was an attorney and he got it in his, his mind. He, he wanted to be born again. And, uh, and he thought he was just going to pray until he knew. And that's, that's a good strategy, right? I mean, you, you know, how many times do we have people come forward for an altar call and repeat after me, you know, or slip your hand up when no one's looking and uh, they don't know. The pastor, you, I sure don't know, right? And uh, time will tell, but even the person praying is like, I hope this works. You know, we, we're not sure. Um, but Finney, he just, he gets it in his heart that he's going to pray until he knows for sure. And so he goes for weeks out into the woods every day, every day, every day. And he just prays for hours and hours. And, uh, and he has this encounter with the Lord in which, as I, I've said, 
He, he experienced what he felt like was liquid love pouring out on top of him. And he was so transformed that when he walked back into the city, people that had known him for years took one look at him and then ran out into the woods to try to find whatever it was he'd seen out there because something was different about Charles Finney. See, this is such good news. This is such good news. When the Holy Spirit comes upon us, there is no doubt. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then he says, you shall be witnesses of me, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so what happens, what, what Jesus says will happen when the Holy Spirit comes upon us is not just that we'll receive conviction and guidance, but also that we'll receive power and purpose. He says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then you will have direction. You'll have purpose in your life. You'll be able to bear witness to who I really am and to what I really want, to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit gives us conviction, guidance, power, and purpose. And... Uh, They returned to Jerusalem in verse 12 of Acts 1. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. In verse 14, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. This is really interesting to me. Because in Acts chapter two, we read, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. This, this is weeks later. They go into the upper room. Immediately after the resurrection, they go into the upper room and they begin to pray and they continue to pray for weeks. They just wait. There's no supernatural manifestation. There's no outpouring of God's glory and grace. They just wait in prayer. Can I tell you, you, you will never receive the immersion the Holy Spirit wants to bring you through if you are not willing to wait in prayer, to posture your heart, to fix your eyes on the Lord and his promises and say, God, I'm willing to wait as long as it takes. I wanna see your passion become reality for me. And so these, these men, they get together and they just, they wait. And then Acts chapter two tells us when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then, appeared, then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire and one sat upon each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. In this moment, the church is born. This is the moment. This is the moment that, that mankind goes from being observers of the divine nature to partakers in the divine nature. When instead of simply spectating, watching, beholding, experiencing what God is doing, we get to become 
mankind in this moment be, uh, was able to, for the first time ever, to become a conduit for the presence and the power of the living God. But I want to give you a little bit of context in, in, in verse 1 of Acts 2. The day of Pentecost had fully come. They were all with one accord in one place. This phrase, uh, with one accord, it's, it's a, a contraction of two Greek words. One word meaning one and the other word meaning passion. And we translate this to mean, to say, with one accord. But it would be more accurate to say that they were, they were all unified in passion. And then suddenly there came a sound from heaven. Can I, can I tell you, from the very beginning, our dream for this church, for this movement, has been that we would be a people unified in passion. I'm convinced that it's the, the word and the will of God for us that we would be a people unified in passion. We may not have the same skin color. It doesn't mean that God loves me any more than he loves you. See, we may be, we may be uh, diverse in our age, we may be diverse in our upbringing. You may have a really thick southern accent, Stacy Fannin, and I may not, right? You may be country, and I may be heavy metal, right? Like, we may be different people from different walks of life, but we can be people gripped with one holy passion, a people unified in passion. I'm convinced that what God was looking for on the day of Pentecost is still what God is looking for today a people seated in pursuit in response to the word of Jesus and unified in a common passion. Our expression might be different. Our demonstration might be different. Our calling might be different, but we can be unified in passion. We want to see Christ enthroned and his kingdom expanded no matter what the cost. We want to see Christ enthroned and his kingdom advanced in all things for all time. That is our singular passion, our holy and sacred dream. I'm convinced maybe now more than I have ever been, I'm convinced that the that the church needs to s surrender to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. There are so many opinions and ideas, so many vain and carnal philosophies about how to build a church. But there is no greater architect than the Spirit of God. We need to divorce ourselves from all the church growth blogs and podcasts. We need to repent of our desperation to subvert the need for a, an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit. Because why would, I, why would I need the Holy Spirit? I've got Rick Warren's book to help me. No. We need to lean on God. I mean, how many times have we been told uh, growing up, for those of us that have grown up in the church, how many times have we been told it's, a, it's not a religion, it's a relationship? Can I, tell you, can I tell you why Jesus didn't just say everything he wanted to say? 
during his time on earth and make sure that it was all recorded in the scriptures. Do you want to know why? Because if we had a book that could answer every question, we wouldn't need a relationship. We would just read the book and do what it said. But this book is the, tre- the, is the map that leads us to the treasure. The treasure is God himself. And when we come into a relationship with God himself, what happens inevitably and intentionally, what happens is that, is that we begin to commune and communicate with him. We begin to hear his voice and recognize that in all things, we need his investment and his involvement. And so instead of just saying, well, I'll just do what my pastor did. I'll just do what my parents did. I'll just do what the book says. We can come again and again and again and again and say, Holy Spirit, what do you have for me today? The Holy Spirit is the engine that drives the Christian life. We cannot live the life Jesus died for us to live without the active involvement in the infilling presence of the Holy Spirit. It's not possible. It's not possible. And God made it that way on purpose because he didn't want you to leave the slavery of sin and exchange it for the slavery of religion. He wanted you to come into a glorious and intimate relationship with him. Uh, there, I've got chapters more. I've got notes today for chapters more that I would love to teach on. Um, you will miss dinner if I, uh, if I go through everything that I wanted to talk about today. And so we'll just continue to talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit next week. Does that sound like fun? So here's, here's what we can do in the meantime. Let's find unity in passion. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one passion in one place. We're gonna come in one place next Sunday. Let's make sure that we come with one passion. Repent of your fear of man. That thing in you that's like, uh, people are gonna think I'm weird if I dance and worship. If, if you think worship is about making you look cool, then you've missed the point entirely. It's only about making Pastor Zach look cool. It's, it just... I'm just kidding. He doesn't need any help looking cool, honestly. He's like the Johnny Cash of spirit-filled worship. He's incredible. <laughs> Very cool. Uh, he was even cooler when half of his face was paralyzed, honestly. It was, it was extra cool. Like Sylvester Stallone, not filled with the Holy Ghost. <laughs> We're going to come together with one holy passion. We're going to be unified in our passion for for two things. Christ would be exalted and his kingdom would be expanded. That Christ would be exalted and his kingdom would be expanded. If it costs my reputation, yes, Lord. If it costs every cent that I have to my name, yes, Lord. If 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 it costs me my comfort, my convenience, yes, Lord. There is nothing that I have that that is more precious than, than that dream, that passion. 
We will be unified in our passion to see Christ exalted and his kingdom expanded in our lives, in our marriages, our families, in our church, in our generation to the glory of God. In Jesus' name. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. Thank you for your passion for us. And Lord, we ask you that you would give us passion for you. Lord, we want to want you more. We long to long for you. We ask you to awaken holy passion that would unify this body. God, I, I pray that you give us a passion that would, that would, that would even make it to where we're willing to be wronged if that's what it takes. That we'd be unified in, in something bigger than ourselves, bigger than our own reputation, bigger than our own comfort or convenience. That you'd make us so fully committed that we'd lay our lives down if we have to. God, we give you everything today. Give us your passion. Give us your passion, a holy passion that would grip us, would capture our hearts and our imaginations, who would draw us out of our little religious bubble and that would cause us to, to see your world the way that you see it, with love, with compassion, For your name's sake, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Family, I love you. Thank you so much for being here. Blessings to you. Uh, we'll see you Wednesday night at 6.30 and, uh, and Sunday again at 10 o'clock, unless you're a man. Hey, can I, can I, make, it a, can I make a point to you? Uh, one more thing before we go. Um, our Wednesday night services... Uh, are inconvenient for me too. And I'm here. Like, please understand. I've got dinners I could be eating, dates I could be going on with the most gorgeous girl you've ever seen. You know, baseball games I could be playing in the backyard, naps I could be taking. I'm gonna be here. And here's why. Because we are not called, not one of us, to be spectators. We're not called to sit on the sidelines of the world thinking about the changes we would make. We are called to be pioneers, leaders in change and transformation for the glory of God. And so on Wednesday nights, I'm convinced that the word of the Lord to this house is that we would begin to get intentional about learning what leadership looks like in our sphere of influence so that we can... So that we can lead when we go into the office on Monday morning. So that we can go in on mission, on assignment from the Lord. So that we can be excellent and honorable in everything that we do. And so I understand some of you have work schedules or life schedules or whatever that make Wednesday nights impossible. And I, you will never be looked down on for not being here. We love you. We protect the fact that each one of us have unique demands placed on us. However, um, what happens here on Wednesdays is holy. And my hope and my passion is that uh, we would be a people that, that treat as holy what God calls holy. And so uh, I'll see you Wednesday at 6.30. Uh, thank you guys so much. Blessings to you. Thank you for tuning in to this service from the Altar Fellowship. We pray that you were impacted powerfully by this message. If you have been personally affected by our ministry and you would like to partner with the Altar, as we work to establish the kingdom of heaven, please visit our website at www.thealtar.org.